The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this episode are that of the guest and host and do not necessarily reflect the values of sponsors or other associated organizations. Welcome to the Parental Compass by Family Education and Support Services. I am your host, Bobby Williams. Welcome to all of our new listeners slash viewers. If you like the show, please subscribe. We drop a new episode every week. Marijuana is everywhere. It's in movies, it's in music. If you're like me and you live in Washington State, There's like 20 weed stores across the city. So what kind of message does that send to young people? And beyond that, what's the impact of weed? How dangerous is it really? Well, here with answers is Jason Kilmer. Jason has a PhD in clinical psychology. He does a lot of work with the University of Washington and just incredibly informed on this issue. I learned a lot through this interview, and I think you're going to learn a lot from listening to it. Check it out. Well, their argument can be like, well, it's relatively harmless. It's not as bad as tobacco or alcohol. Is that true? If someone says my goal is to avoid a lethal outcome, alcohol is far more deadly. You know, when we look at um, if someone has a fifth of hard alcohol and they drink that, that could be a lethal outcome for some people. If what someone is using, they know is is cannabis, marijuana, if they're not behind the wheel of a car, if they haven't combined substances, I mean, they'll probably fall asleep before they can ingest a lethal substance. So from a life or death standpoint, alcohol is a much more dangerous substance. But If someone has a drink of alcohol today, I have no proof of that tomorrow. If someone uses marijuana today, we can measure decreases in cognitive abilities, attention, concentration, memory, a full 24 hours later. Mm. Um, When people are at the point where they're using marijuana daily, it takes four weeks, 28 days for those cognitive abilities to match that of people who don't use it all. So I think it's challenging. I hear people say, well, in quotes, it's safer than alcohol. But it depends kind of on what you're looking at and what that measuring stick of safety might be. But it's subtle, right? The the, the subtleties with with marijuana are different. Um, The fact that we have federally for adults, uh, you know, guidelines for low risk alcohol use, we don't have that. We don't have guidelines for low risk marijuana use. The best harm reduction researchers we have at most have said, here are guidelines for lower risk use, but any marijuana use, if you look at the science, uh, incurs risks. So if someone says, I want to use in a safe way, the published literature says, then abstinence is the only way to guarantee that. Yeah, there is no total safe way. Well, you're making me think about short-term memory loss too, and how, you know, if you smoke a lot of weed, your short-term memory can get worse. And it's like, is everyone just kind of brain damaging themselves a little, or I hope not, but. We hope not too. I got to tell you, this is one of the challenges in science, right? Because to really know 
how will use affect people 30 years from now? You need 30 years to run the study. Uh, there has been a study done following people from the age of 13 to the age of 38. And people that used cannabis in a heavy way at every five-year time point when they checked in with them, in that 25-year span, they lost eight points off their IQ. And that's not, that's not recoverable. Um, huh. You know, people say, well, we have multiple studies shown that. Well, no, because to replicate it, it's going to take another decades-long study. And when that study started, marijuana potency or strength was way, way different than what we see today. So if someone's considering quitting and they say, well, I heard you lost IQ points. So at this point, I mean, what's, why would I stop? I never want people focusing on that. I want people to focus on the research that does say, if you stop, you can see these cognitive impacts improve. The same study I just cited from early 2022, that says there is no safe amount of use. There are guidelines for lower risk use. One of the guidelines they made is if you notice those cognitive impacts, either stop or substantially reduce your frequency or potency of use. Why? Because the research we do have says if you stop, you will see attention, concentration, memory improve. Yeah, I mean, you don't wanna make yourself dumber, obviously. We, that's not terminology we would necessarily use working with uh, students, young adults and others, but I, I, if, if people are concerned about, is this affecting my attention, my memory, my concentration, 25 years of research says, yes, it does. And if you stop, you should see those things improve. What about, is marijuana addictive? Because some people say it's not, some people say it is. I, I mean, I think it definitely is, right? Well, it's, it is, and that's not a new finding. Uh, we used to talk about uh, making a distinction between cannabis dependence, cannabis abuse. When terminology changed in 2013, that was folded into what we call a substance use disorder. In the case of marijuana, a cannabis use disorder. Based on the number of symptoms people endorse, they get a specifier of, is this mild, moderate, or severe? Not only is marijuana addictive, there are even symptoms of withdrawal when people stop. And what's surprising is that a lot of the reasons people say they use are actually signs of withdrawal. Mm. Yeah, um, like I have a hard time getting my appetite and then maybe that's just withdrawal of you losing your appetite. We've done research, uh, one of my colleagues has done, uh, was principal investigator and lead author on a study with incoming first year college students where we asked them, if you use marijuana, tell us the reasons why. And they said things like, I like the feeling, I like getting high, gives me something to do with my friends, helps when I'm bored. But they also said, helps when I'm depressed, helps reduce my anxiety, helps, as you said, when my appetite's not great, um, helps me fall asleep, helps when I have a headache. What are the criteria for cannabis withdrawal? It's that list, anxiety, depressed mood, appetite problems, insomnia, headaches. So if someone says, I feel like marijuana helps my anxiety, we can ask them, how do you know? And if they say, I use weed every day, and last week I ran out for three days, my anxiety was brutal. Couldn't sleep at all. I felt horrible. Got my hands on weed again. All of that went away. Yeah. That's not managing anxiety. Sadly, that's probably resuming substance use, making withdrawals stop. Well, how do parents even have this conversation with their kids? On one hand, you don't want to be permissive, but on right. the other hand, you don't want to be so like 
you know, super strict that they don't want to come to you and talk to you about it or they hide it from you. So how can you begin to navigate that or what's step one there? I love that question. Step one is just making it okay to have the conversation. We talk about seatbelt use. We talk about putting on a helmet if you ride a bike. You know, there's there's other things we check in about. Um, cell phone use. What are you seeing? What are you hearing? Uh, what's happening at school? I think that the similar conversations about, um, you know, what do you see or hear at school about marijuana use, if anything? And even if they say nothing, let's move on and shift topics. You've opened the door. You've made it okay to communicate about that. I think it's just getting the ball rolling and making it okay. The, the, the things I've seen uh, in terms of guidelines and suggestions for parents for discussing marijuana use to, to a resource, they say, just make it okay to talk about it. And you, know, you don't have to cover everything the first time you have the conversation. It can be as simple as, what have you seen or heard about marijuana use at your school? What about when they ask, have you ever smoked marijuana? I think that when among the best guidelines include, you know, monitoring and being aware of your own behavior. If there are questions about people's behavior in the past, I mean, every parent's different in terms of what they're comfortable saying or disclosing, but you know, where does a question like that come from? The, in all likelihood, the person wants to know, you know, I wanna know if you can relate or I wanna know what you've gone through. What is important to know is that even if a parent says, I did or I didn't, it doesn't change that they can still express their wishes for their kid today. What we see so strikingly clear is that cannabis in 2022 is a different product. It's a different animal than 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and farther away. When you hear about people who are older today, reflecting on their time in the 1970s, and they say that they, in quotes, smoked grass, because it was practically grass. One, one and a half percent THC. In the 80s, two to three percent THC. In the 90s, four to five percent THC. What do scientists consider the strong stuff? High potency cannabis, anything over 10% THC. In the illicit market in the United States, we've been over 10% THC since 2010. But in states that have legalized, products are going through the roof. 20 to 30% THC in smokable bud or flower concentrates. Dabbing is a verb. People use dab pens to hit dabs, which are these concentrated cannabinoids. Those average 60 to 90%. THC. That's insane. That seems like when you're getting, you know, a whole huge hit like that, that seems like another tier of like, that's drugs, you know? You understand my point though, Bobby, is that you know, whiskey in 2022 was the same alcohol by volume as whiskey in 1972, 50 years earlier. That's not the case with cannabis. And these changing products, I think so often we hear people say, but it's natural. Those concentrates don't occur in nature. Well, um, but there's a lot of other things that are natural or opioids, or I don't know what comes from nature, but everything does in some way, right? It starts with something, but then if it gets altered enough, it's it's no longer that natural product for sure. Another challenge is weed is just such a huge part of culture. There's funny weed movies. There's a lot of like weed anthem songs. And if there was a marketing person for weed, they are killing it right now. Like it is just so a huge part of culture. 
Well, and I think that contributes to misperceived norms. That contributes to, again, the importance of parents discussing things like that or, or guardians discussing that like that with, with kids. Uh, study after study shows that when kids see alcohol portrayed in TV shows, alcohol portrayed in movies, advertisements about alcohol, those that don't drink are more likely to start the more of those ads or media exposures they see. Those that have started using are more likely to increase their use. Uh, we've got to do, we've, I mean, obviously cannabis research has to catch up, but we've got to believe a lot of those same associations exist. What's hard when you hear about or see things like that is that they do contribute to misperceived norms. No matter what age group you ask about, whether it's sixth graders, eighth graders, 10th graders, 12th graders, college students, young adults not in college, people 26 and older, a common thread in every study, every study done to date is that the majority do not use. The majority of every single age group don't use. So when you see portrayals, when you see statements like, well, everyone uses, none of that's true. Do we have any idea about what percent of people do? Or, I mean, that'd be hard to measure, I assume. Uh, we have lots of estimates. The age group I tend to work with uh, has the highest prevalence of any other age group. And uh, the most recent Monitoring the Future study shows it's about 43% of college students that say that at least once in the past year, they use marijuana. What do most people do? The flip side, 57% don't. When you get to other age groups, those numbers go way, way down. And keep in mind, that's a very liberal definition of use in the past year. Most studies look at current use as past 30 days. And those numbers are much, much smaller. With college students, you see that in the low 20s, reporting that they've used at least once in the past 30 days. What does that mean? Over 70% don't. And so, uh, you know, making sure we know what those data are become important because if a parent's talking with a kid that says, don't worry about it, everybody uses, that is simply not true. And parents knowing what those actual rates are can be an important part of the conversation. Yeah, spreading information. It's tough to get through with young people or they're going to do what they're going to do. You work with a lot of college students. What do students come to you with when they're maybe having struggles with substance use? You know, one of the last students I saw in person before the world shut down was someone that said, uh, I think I really have a problem with marijuana use and I'm worried that I'm addicted. And I said, well, how can I help you? And he said, by letting me know if that's possible. Like, is it true you can get addicted? The person said, my roommates are like, you can't get addicted to weed. Like, come on. Uh, I can't imagine saying to someone with any other substance, like, get over it. You can't get addicted to that. Uh, so I do think making sure people do understand this is an addictive substance. And if people are struggling, there are numerous support services. Um, you know, to support behavior change. I think that's important. I think a lot of times if people are saying, I'm using because it helps me manage my anxiety or it helps when I'm depressed or it helps me sleep, the science tells a different story. So, you know, what's their value? I want to feel better. What's the status quo? They're trying by using something that may not actually help them feel better. So we want to get them connected with services that work, with counseling that works, rather than maybe something that's, that could potentially make things worse for them. I think 
so often it's like the behavior smoking weed that's not necessarily the real problem the real problem is all those feelings inside that you're trying to manage and that's what you know steers people into addiction so say your child is addicted are there like one two three is that just get them a therapist or help them monitor themselves or what do you do I think, I mean, obviously every situation is different. I think that if someone's at the level where a person is addicted, then it's talking to a healthcare provider, it's talking to a counselor, it's exploring options. But, you know, whatever the majority of people who, um, you know, may say, I feel like I need to make a change in my substance use behavior, do so without any formal intervention. Uh, that said, there are people that say, I do want more support, I do want more guidance. And there are so many options for people. Um, no different than kind of, in quote, shopping for other services. You really shop for kind of what makes the most sense for, you know, any one person's situation, what they prefer, what they, what they like. You know what I mean? Some people say, I want one-on-one. -on -one. I don't want to be in a group. Other people say, I want to be in a group. I want to hear about what's working for other people. Um, it, it, it varies. I feel like that's a flaky answer, but it has to be. Professor Kilmer, thank you for taking the time. This was a really interesting conversation. Anything you want to leave us with? First, let me just say you do such cool work. Thank you for the role you play for parents and others in our community. What I would say is this. there I mentioned earlier that if people are considering counseling or treatment, that they can, in some ways, go shopping for different options, you can do the same with parent guides. There are some incredible resources out there that are free. That's my favorite price. Uh, and there are really extraordinary resources. One of those is starttalkingnow.org. Uh, starttalkingnow.org is offered in multiple different languages and reviews how to discuss alcohol use, marijuana use, and even prevent these things uh, with kids. There's also, this one I have to spell out a little bit. There's a website that's uh, Learn About Marijuana WA, W-A. Our, our state abbreviation. So learn about marijuana, wa.org. There's a, you can click on parents and there's a parent's guide to preventing underage marijuana use that was written by experts at Seattle Children's Hospital and the Social Development Research Group. And then even if you're not the parent of a college age student, one of, the, one of the tools I've seen that I really like is College Parents Matter. M-A-T-T-E-R, collegeparentsmatter.org. You go to topics. One of the topics says cannabis. And it says, there's a decision tree. It says, as a parent, what best fits your situation? Number one, I'm not sure if my child is even using marijuana. Number two, I know my child uses, but I'm not sure how much or how often. And number three, my child uses regularly. And it gives kind of scenario specific recommendations. So I think this conversation can be so much uh, larger than what we just did in the short time, but if that's of use to people, those three tools are incredible resources. I think always feeling like you're not alone in this too. There's communities out there, there's ideas out there. Get the conversation going. Professor Kilmer, thank you again. You're very, very welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jason. We made it happen. We made the episode happen. I know you have a lot going on and I appreciate you taking the time to come on and be on the show with us. 
This has been the Parental Compass by Family Education and Support Services. I'm Bobby Williams. We'll see you next week. Peace!